Looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Today, we sit down and talk with head track coach at Calvary Christian High School, Coach Lisa Haig. Lisa coaches track, cross-country, and strength and conditioning at Calvary Christian High School in Clearwater, Florida. Unfortunately, her promising year was cut short, just like so many other things, by the coronavirus. In our discussion, we chat about facing adversity, being resourceful, and becoming the mentor you always wish you had. Lisa strives to keep all of her athletes happy and healthy with a feed the cats mentality. You can find her on Twitter at Coach Lisa Moves You. Thanks for tuning into the show today. Let's continue to grow the mind and change the system. Pennsylvania and uh, we that was like foreign country no one's ever heard of it unless they've gone to see the Amish on vacation and my parents had a bed and breakfast growing up and I thought these people were insane because there was no beach why would you go there on vacation and um, so that's where I went to high school and then my first year in college I went to a small university called Lock Haven um, and then transferred to a branch campus at Penn State and then went to the main campus for the remainder of the time. Um, our town was very much a football town, and that was pretty much what the town revolved around. And you, you know, you had to have a name and have grown up there, and it was very, very small town. Um, so I had gone to a small Christian school up until eighth grade, so we didn't really have sports. My brothers played sports. Girls didn't really play sports. Uh, so I really didn't have much of an opportunity to play anything until high school. And they didn't have girls soccer yet. So I went for field hockey in the fall and um, then track and field in the spring. And I like to always say that there is absolutely nothing about my athletic career um, that makes me qualify to be a coach other than I just want to be what I didn't have in high school. Um, because my, the first thing I tried was hurdles and they were regulation heights on a cinder track because I'm that old. And, um, <laughs> so I fell once and after digging gravel out of my shin, I'm like, that's not for me. And went and tried jumps. And I'm pretty sure I fouled every single long and triple jump. Um, you know, it just, I didn't have anyone to tell me, you know what, this may not be your thing. Go do something else. So um, in college, my first year, I didn't do anything. Second year at branch campus at Penn State, uh, I needed to take a PE credit, and I couldn't fit anything into my schedule because I was commuting. So they said, well, if you join cross country, um, you can uh, fulfill it that way. So I'm like, okay, that I can do. I run anyway. And I ended up doing really well in, in the league that they competed in with other branch campuses and community college. I ended up finishing fourth in the state that year. And... You know, I guess I was pretty decent back then. And they're like, oh, you should try and walk on at the main campus. Well, no one told me how to do that. So I didn't. And that was it. And, I, you know, looking back now, I'm like, I was running 18 something in mountains. Like that was pretty decent. But I never had anyone in high school to kind of push me in the direction that I should have gone um, or anyone to encourage me or help me get through the process of, of doing this at the next level. Um but since high school, you know, when I kind of decided, well, sports weren't going to do anything for me, um, started teaching fitness classes at 18 years of age. 
So I've been doing some type of teaching or leading or personal training since I was 18 years old and use that to kind of help pay some bills in college, um, but never really got to fulfill what I probably could have done um, just because I didn't have the direction to do that. So it's kind of one of my main motivations as a coach is to make sure that I can be the coach that I didn't have. Um, and I think the other thing that's great is that I don't rely on any of the experience I had in my uh, time as an athlete to dictate how I coach or I would have no team because they wouldn't want to be there at practice. So uh, that was kind of how um, my athletic career started and and chose a degree in nutrition and um, got finished with that. And I was like, this is kind of nice to know, but there's not really jobs in that. So <laughs> I went into pharmaceutical sales and was able to pay my college loans off. So that was good. Um, still taught fitness classes. And, um, and uh, after graduation, we, I had moved to Florida um, with my husband and then um, we've been here every ever since 98, um, except for one year in Charlotte. And most of that time I taught fitness classes. And then at one point I was, I was kind of done. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm out of this like fitness industry. Um, you know, I, you just got sick of people's perceptions of what makes something good. And if you look a certain way, then this must be good. Or you're doing this faster than what is safe to be safe. So that must be good because I'm sweating more, I'm working harder. And I just was so over that. So I stopped and, and every attempt I had to get out of the health and fitness industry keeps circling back around. <laughs> and I, mean, I went in, I, I've gone in other, many other directions and I, and I just kept coming back to it. And I know, you know, I know why now. And uh, so it's just kind of funny the amount of times I'm like, I am so done with this. I, I went through it probably an eight year period where I didn't tell anyone I had a degree in nutrition because I didn't feel like dealing with their ignorant questions. So I just didn't tell them. And um, so about five years ago, um, when my daughter was in fourth grade and they were allowed to do middle school track, uh, she had finished up with gymnastics. She was kind of over that. And um, they could join the, the middle school track team. And she gets out there the first day after coming from such a highly uh, organized sport. And it was chaos. And she hated it. And she's like, oh, maybe I'm not fast after all. And she was, like, devastated. I'm like, this isn't good. Like, this isn't fun. And so I guess kind of the overriding theme of my life is that if I see something that I think could be better, I go and find a way to improve on it. And so um, I really had no intention of coaching. I was just going to try and educate myself um, to know what a good program would be for her to check it out because she wanted to do something. And um, those were famous last words. So I, <laughs> I, uh, they asked me to help take over with the middle school program there. And so I did that and uh, we had probably like twice as many kids come out for middle school track that year and just giving the kids some sense of ownership and skill over what they were doing. Um, they loved it. And I just thought like, this is very, this is, this is how it should be. Like there is some sense of accomplishment in knowing what you're doing and mastering that in how much fun you're having when you don't know what's going on and there's no sense of, 
teaching any type of skill at any developmental level is just a free for all, it's not fun. And I think that there's, you know, it's a common theme I've since seen since then in most middle school programs where it's just go run, we'll time you and then go to attract me. And I like, I hated that because I'm like this, I loved track and field. I had so much fun with it. So I took it a step further and started an elementary intramural program um, to introduce things to kids. And I thought it was really funny that the things that the kids loved the most, um, and, and when I say we did hurdles, they were like the six inch, like mini hurdles, <laughs> like hurdles and javelin were their favorite thing. And I had like foam pole toys that we threw as javelins, but like, who doesn't want to throw a spear or jump over something? And so it's two of the things that one, we didn't even have as an event in the state of Florida. And the other one that everyone fears were the things that when you introduce it the right way, kids love it. And so it was really cool to be working at all three levels, elementary, middle, and high school, uh, and to see what commonalities there were and what things we could do to improve this sport by um, teaching it in, in a better way. And so um, that was kind of how I got into the track side of things and, and then took over the high school program um, the one year with eight days notice, uh, coaching all events. And that was my first year as a head coach. So, oh my gosh. There was, <laughs> there was a lot of, um, of different, uh, power struggles and things, you know, things that the way they had been done and I came in and did my job and that didn't always go over well the first year, but, um, you know, after several years, people really bought into that and, and I think one of the things that really helped was at that time, that school um, was just building athletic facilities and had a weight room. So I got the strength and conditioning coach that my daughter um, was working with at the time. Um, I got him in there as the sprint coach uh, because there's a lot of commonalities in what is taught in the strength and conditioning and sports performance arena and sprinters. Um, knowing that they were going to be hiring a strength and conditioning coach after that. So it was kind of like a gateway. And then when he took over the strength and conditioning role was when I took over uh, the sprint side of things and then took over as head coach. So it worked out well to kind of get him in there, but I knew that that was absolutely an essential part of the program. Um, and so I've been really, really fortunate to always have that at my disposal because come track season, it's not, that isn't a role I want to do at the time because like tracks my baby. Like that's my thing I want to do. I don't want to have to program one other thing. Um, so that was a, a huge advantage and, and help to me at that point to have that because uh, when you're doing all those events by yourself, um, just to have two hours where you send some of these kids in and can work with another group was really valuable time. So I think it taught me a lot about how, some things aren't ideal, but sometimes you have to kind of shift things around to to make it work with what you have. And that was one thing that I know that we always did well was was what we had in there on the strength and conditioning side of things. And um, that gave me the ability to develop athletes in different events because then I didn't have the whole group with me at the same time and was able to devote some individual attention. So yeah. I, th I think a couple of things that stand out from uh, just listening to your story there too is one, I just love, and, and it's something that Tom and I have found is kind of a commonality from people we've talked with from TFC where you just, you have an open mind and you just like, like you said, 
when you see something that isn't quite right or that could be better, you act on it. And and you kind of take that initial, like, you see something something that could be changed and you want to be the one that implements the change. And I think that's extremely powerful. Um, I also thought it was super interesting how you said when you were growing up, you didn't really have the access to a lot of these sports. And now you went full circle the other way where you're the one teaching these sports. Yeah. Right. So I, yeah. I feel like that's got to be just an awesome like to be able to look at your daughter and understand that she's able to get so much better like mentorship and coaching yeah. compared to what you had. I yeah. feel like it's probably awesome to see as as a parent. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the other thing that's really cool is it was not common for girls to play sports in the area that I grew up. I mean, it was pretty common to get married right out of high school and that was it. So, I mean, even though we were not as strict as a lot of people that were there, sports was not something I was able to do growing up. Um, and I hated that because I always had dreamed of like doing gymnastics or dance or something and wasn't allowed to do that. So um, I think that, you know, it's neat to be able to give the perspective of where I came from and what that was like compared to whatever she wants to do, she has access to. Um, and then and the other thing that's kind of funny, too, is that my um, I think it was my junior year in high school and they did like a college day. And you go around and hear about different programs. And so the university that I went to my first year had a pretty big um, like sports medicine, athletic training type thing. And I really wanted to do that. And I went in there and this kid that was a year older than me, a real popular wrestler dude. And he's like, what are you doing in here? And I'm like, I'm interested in, you know, the sports medicine, athletic training. He's like, you can't do that. You're a girl. And, and honestly, like I let that affect me for so many years and kind of veered away from athletics completely. And so I think it's kind of funny how long I kind of let that have a hold on me before, and then to come back full circle and now be working in the many different avenues that I do. I'm like, how, like, I don't want anyone to ever tell my daughter she can't do something because she's a girl. And like that, it's just a shame that I let that impact me for so many years. And then to kind of come around and now I'd be so heavily involved with athletics is another thing that I think is like really cool. <laughs> do, do, you, do you think that that like helps to fuel your fire? So I know you said initially it kind of like made you step back like, oh, you're maybe I can't do this. And you questioned yourself. But now is it something where it's like that fuels you even more to make sure that your daughter and, and other people down the line don't have to have that experience? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I mean, my main events that I coach are sprints. Uh, I don't exactly blend in at um, sprint coaches conferences. So, um, I, I mean, I always get like, oh, you must be the cross country coach. And so... <laughs> And so I think it's kind of funny, but, um, it's, you know, it's no different than my daughter who's, you know, pretty good sprinter. Um, everyone thinks she's a distance runner. So anyway, we just kind of laugh and I just, I want her to know that it's okay to like embrace that you're kind of a unicorn. And, um, and even like when we came to Calvary and we can get into that transition later, but uh, when the guys found out that their new head coach and the sprint coach was a female, they're like, what do you mean their new sprint coach isn't a dude? And so 
I gave, you know, they weren't used to it. And so I, I gave him such a hard time. I'm like, you know, I, I, I can put a fake mustache on if that'll make you feel more comfortable. Like, you know, because to me, it's not like I had five brothers growing up. So it's, it's more natural for me to coach male athletes. Um, but I feel like I, you know, it's not, I, they've never had a female coach. And so they don't know what to expect. And so that's been kind of a really cool dynamic to um, experience because at the other school, everyone knew me because I had been there for as long as my daughter was there since the age of three. Um, so coming into a new school and not knowing anyone, um, that was a dynamic that I hadn't experienced for a very long time. Um, and that's, you know, getting to get not not their approval but understanding that i'm you know pretty good at what i do and it's okay that i'm not a dude so 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 that's that's something i want to i want to dive a little bit further into yeah. as well because when you go into a new school and then like you said kind of that different dynamic of like coach athlete um and then if you add on top the idea of kind of like the minimal effective dose or, or just things that um tfc preaches with that I'm, I'm really curious to see how you were able to um, kind of gain their, their respect and understanding of your methods because it wasn't like, and, and maybe you did, but it wasn't like you went in there first day and just like ran until they threw up, like you were going to yeah. do what was most effective. So yeah. it's like, how did all of that blend together? Yeah. So um, I'll give you a little background too of, of how we got to that school. So um, my daughter wanted to change for high school and, and that was, you know, a difficult choice to make because we'd been at the other school for so long, but we knew it was a change that, that she needed. And, and so we had to kind of look at what was going to give her the best balance, but also had to look at which schools had decent track programs because there was no guarantee I was going to coach and it's never been my dream to coach her. And I don't, I won't work with her one-on-one. Um, cause she's exactly like me. So we don't, um, <laughs> so um, I needed to, you know, I was prepared for the fact that I may not coach. And so I was familiar with Calvary because they were in our division and, you know, in our district and region. So uh, we did two meets there every year. Um, and so I went in there as, as a parent to open house and, um, had, you know, had, I was mentally prepared. Okay. This may be my last year of coaching, but I've got to do what is right for her. So what I didn't know was that their head of school had been following my track Twitter account for the other school for two years and had been saying to the athletic director, I would love to meet whoever it is, is behind this account because I love how she promotes the athletes. Like that's what we need here. We need someone here who promotes the athletes. So when I walked in the door as a parent and for open house and the athletic director told him who I was, he just about fell over. So it's really cool because a lot of the frustrations that I had, um, you know, in building a program at the other school and oh, what I didn't mention was I didn't have a track at the other school um, and quite literally built something out of nothing and had 15 kids at States that were all in sprint jumper hurdle events without a track. So um, what, what, what did you use? I got, I got to hear that story. <laughs> so we, um, uh, we had a very rough paved um, path, like, off of a field. So we had a bumpy grass field with lots of ants and we had a paved uh, path. And then my last year there, we got two 30 meter rollout track surfaces. And so any acceleration work, um, we put a long jump pit at the end of one of the runways. Uh, so blocks are first hurdle, um, handoffs, um, 
long jump, triple jump, everything we did was with those two runways. Wow. Do you appreciate that struggle now? Like looking back at it, do you feel like yes. that just made you, it made you more creative and a better yeah. coach because you weren't blessed with the best gear, the best equipment. You didn't even have a track for crying yeah. out loud. I, um, I didn't even have a shed. I stored everything in my car for so many years. The time I got like an eight by eight aluminum shed was like the best day of my life. And, but yeah, so I think, you know, and the one thing I have to say that is probably what makes me, I feel a good coach has nothing to do with my technical knowledge. It has everything to do with, I am someone that is really effective at bringing people together and getting people to buy in. And I am extremely creative. Um, very artistic. And so a lot of, um, you know, a lot of what I had to do those first, those years coaching was um, relied on my creativity because I didn't have a track. So I had to think about how am I going to do this without a track? And so it definitely makes me appreciate having a track now uh, because that's not something I ever had. And so I always joke that my biggest problem was going to be figuring out what do you do with a track uh, because I didn't, I didn't have one. And, um, so yeah, so that there's so many things that I benefit from, from that experience of having to build that program, um, without a track because you can't make excuses. Like I, I don't like excuses. And even though it was a, a private school and, and, and everyone has this notion that all private schools have a lot of money and, and that's not always the case. Um, I'm like, we aren't going to act like we are disadvantaged in any way because we don't have a track. Like what, you know, we had like 20 really bad distance runners when I took over the program. There was a few that were good, but why would they give us a track? We didn't have a track program. We had a cross country program. We didn't have a track program. Why would they build us a track? So we got to earn the right to when that money is available to get a track. And so, and that's exactly, you know, what we did. So um, I was really proud of that. And I think that um, you know, when, when I came into Calgary and they knew how I promoted athletes and how I was able to build that program because we beat them at districts last year, um, that was kind of like, they knew I'd had the ability to do what needed to be done there because there's no reason with the location of the school and the tuition costs and the facilities and the support the school gives that we shouldn't have a state championship team in a couple of years. And they just needed someone who can have the vision to, to go ahead and do that. But, you know, it is, it was very scary coming in there, not knowing anyone um, and having to kind of clean some things up and uh, make some coaching changes and stuff like that, which is always a fun thing to do as the new kid on the block. Do you but, find yourself, do you find yourself now, like if you're having a difficulty or you're complaining about something you think back to the time where you had all these different challenges that were so much, or do you find you're just, do you find yourself complaining less because you have that appreciation that you need to earn the things that you get instead of going in with the mindset of, Oh, I deserve this because I am so-and-so. I know. I think it's kind of like, I, there's always going to be challenges. There's just going to be different challenges. So, you know, I thought coming in, having the track, we're never going to have a problem um, having access to using the facilities. Well, the problem with going to a school with a flourishing athletic program is there's lots of flourishing athletic programs and a lot more athletes. And so, I mean, even like sectioning off lanes okay like lanes one and two that's always for distance so we color-coded cones so like we put blue cones anywhere we were working 
to stay out of lanes one and two. Like start to know when you see blue cones, those are the distance lanes. We will always take these lanes. We will always go here um, because, you know, there was other, you know, lacrosse out on the field or there were other teams that were doing some preseason conditioning and, and having to share that space. So it's, I'm glad I had that experience because I would not know what to do in this situation. And so, you know, for me, it's like, oh, if, well, if we can't have the track, we've, there's so many parking lots that are smoother than what I used at the previous school. Like, we're good. Like, I'm totally fine. I am handy with chalk and a measuring wheel. So, like, we can, you know, I don't stress about that kind of stuff because I know what I can accomplish with nothing. So I, um, you know, I don't let it bother me, but I would say there's always going to be some struggles or some things that are different. It's just different struggles. And here it is. There's just more athletic programs that are doing really well and a lot more athletes and having a facility, you can host events. So that means sometimes they're hosting a lacrosse game and you can't be on the track because they have a lacrosse game. So there's still a lot of moving parts. It's just a different kind of moving parts. Just for reference, can you give us how many kids come out for track every year and how big your school is? So the school, I think the student population is is close to 700. Um, and this okay. year I had 90 come out for track. Wow. And um, it, yeah, it was not that the previous year. It was about 50. So you almost doubled it just by yeah. that first year coming out. Um, yeah. Well, your anticipated first year. Tell us a little yeah. bit how things have been the last couple months with uh, the coronavirus, mm-hmm. with school closing. Let's t- talk about challenges. Yeah, that's been that's been rough, and I would have to say the last 24 hours has probably uh, hit me more than it has in the last couple weeks. But you know, the, it, I always say that track season's kind of like a roller coaster because. Like all of a sudden it just takes off and then it's like, it, there's ups and downs and twists and turns. And then next thing you know, you're at like postseason, and you're like, how'd we get here? Um, so this was no exception, except that the roller coaster got stuck somewhere and now we're just stuck. So, um, you know, with, with such a large team, they had never really had that large of a team. So there were a lot of logistic issues that had to be worked out. Even like ordering gear was like, that was just a nightmare. And, and a lot of kids didn't have it. And, you know, I came in wanting everyone to have a, the jacket. So we all look like a team and just different expectations. So there were so many things that went on, like, con- you know, gear not coming in on time and stuff like that. Um, and then our first meet was um, our meet that we hosted. And it was, don't laugh, but it was like 40 degrees and like really windy. Like we had... <laughs> Rough. <laughs> Sounds, Sounds like rough. a good day, yeah. Am I talking to Minnesota here? Um, you know, it was like plus five headwinds. And so here, like, I hate that, you know, because you know you've got all of so many kids that are coming out for track for the first time. And I'm like, oh, my God, their parents are going to hate me because this is like hours and hours of like out here in this wind and cold and, you know, we aren't dressed for it and whatever. So it was it was miserable. And then our second meet was just as windy, but just a little bit more um, mild. And um, and then our third meet, we had decent weather finally. Um, and then the fourth meet, we were 20 minutes from leaving to go to that meet when um, they had to cancel the meet because of coronavirus. So, um, and that was 
kind of the beginning of the end of the, or a holding pattern, whatever it is that we're in right now. And it's tough because, it's, you know, we had a lot of really good momentum going. And, and on the boys' side of things, we had just a ridiculous amount of depth um, on the sprint side. And, like, so much so that I was still working through four by 100 combinations to figure out who is going to go where. And like, you know, we were just starting to figure that out. And, you know, a lot of these kids, I had to kind of redo how they were doing blocks. So they were just starting to get comfortable coming out of blocks set at the proper place. And, you know, and just getting some kids comfortable going over hurdles enough that we would put them in, in the 110 hurdles. And so it's like we were just getting to the point where I felt like we were ready to have a meet that really clicked. And I mean, it was just, it was devastating. And like that day, I I had everyone stay, and like we're gonna practice, you know, because I I I had this feeling that this was like something was gonna change. And that day before practice, we got called into a mandatory meeting where they said, okay, we're not going to have school tomorrow. Staff's going to come in. We're going to talk about getting ready for online uh, teaching because spring break was coming up the next week. And so I kind of knew that that might be it. And I, the one thing I'm so thankful is that I had the kids stay and all they had to practice in were their uniforms because we were going to a meet. And so we just paired them up into like silly relays and just had them do four by ones, four by twos, just to get their workout in. But more than anything, just to be together as a team, because I had a feeling that was going to be it. And so, and that's the last time that I've seen some of those kids. So that, that's tough. Like it's, it's really hard for me not seeing them um, and not being in the halls and having them in class. And, you know, it's just, I've never, you know, other than like nine 11, it's really hard to feel like, you know, to understand what that feels like to have your life just stop suddenly. And we went into spring break week and even that was kind of not a break because I knew we're coming back and teaching online. And like I said, this was my first year teaching in a classroom um, in addition to my other roles at school and then to add learning how to teach online um, and the amount of work that I put into building the track program to where it was um, where I was like, you know, I'm hanging on by a thread as it is. And then it just stops. So it's been, you know, I've spent a lot of time just contacting the athletes. How are you doing? Um, not, we couldn't even give them workouts the first two weeks because they said, no, we just like that, you know, they didn't want coaches encouraging kids to go meet in groups and go to facilities and stuff like that for obvious reasons. Um, so, and then it's, you know, it's kind of gotten to the point where, you know, like some of the kids are nervous and, you know, adults are nervous. I get nervous sometimes cause I, you know, it's hard to know what, what is the truth with all of this. So I'm just checking in on them to see how they're doing. And if they ask about a workout, great, I'll, I'll talk to them, but I'm much more concerned about how they're doing. I'm much more concerned about how their online classes are going. Um, and just letting them know that I care more than anything, because, um, this is, you know, particularly the seniors, I feel horrible for like, this is, this stinks for them. And, um, you know, I've still got one or two that we were really trying to, to, um, get into as some type of program at the next level. Um, but I had just, you know, this kid just came in from Texas and we didn't really have good times on him and we're just really 
trying to find a place for him and, and had crappy meets wind-wise to really get a good gauge on what he can do. So it's like that kind of stuff keeps me up at night because <laughs> I'm like, I, I, you know, how did this, you know, how, how could this have ended like this? And we don't know if it's going to come back. Um, you know, they haven't decided that yet. So we're still kind of in a wait and see pattern. Um, but we'll hopefully find out in the next two weeks, but I don't honestly feel like we're going to have anything anytime soon. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, uh, I mean, I think devastating is a good word to summarize it all because yeah, it's just such an unprecedented situation. And, um, like you said, when you, when you were talking, that's kind of right where my mind went was the seniors where you just feel for them. Cause like, you're, you're going to have another year coaching, like all the other kids yeah. are going to have that another year. They're going to have that experience. Um, I just think that at every level, I mean, college, high school, the seniors yeah. who aren't going to be able to go back and do it again, it's just like, really, you really feel for yeah. them. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's such a hard time. And, um, like you spoke to, spoke to before, you have a lot of experience with overcoming things and, and this maybe will be one of the yeah. toughest ones. Um, but I think it speaks to how good of a coach you are that you, your mind immediately goes to like caring about the athlete as a person versus yeah. just like their numbers, you know, like yeah. that's the first thing and you're reaching out to them and that just really um, speaks wonders. And, and I hope that any coaches who are listening to this feel that same way where the bottom line is the athlete as a human being, like being safe, being yeah. healthy and things like that before all else so that that's powerful you know, i mean like that that old saying they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care i really believe is true and you know it's you know it is easy to you know as a coach to worry oh they're not going to do anything they're not going to stay on top of whatever they have to do to stay in shape and and you know and even like with my own daughter i mean it's like this was you know she was on fire this year and you know pretty much when you know part of or you know course to get on the podium at states um but i can't you know i'm like listen if you know i can't go make you work out like this is if you can find a way to keep this up on your own like you can do anything you want to in life i mean that is like what i call her and i've told all these athletes like it it is hard to get out there and do this on your own it sucks like it's you know it's not fun um, there, it, it, not knowing what to do and not having someone there to push you. But if you can find a way to do this, like there is nothing that will stop you in life because this is like one of the hardest things that you'll probably ever have to do. And, you know, even though this sport has some, you know, much more individual components than a lot of different team sports, you still have the support of the team around you. And so to not have that right now is, is really challenging for them. And, and, you know, and I can't encourage them to go meet in groups and, and sprint together, even at a safe distance, because it's just that's not what our school wants us to encourage. And I, I agree with that. And, you know, there's just more important things in the grand scheme of life right now than their workouts. And and I don't want these kids. The last thing they need is they're already feeling pressure to try and figure out this online thing and, you know, and. Google crashes or something else crashes. And then, you know, they're stressed out about not getting their stuff in on time. And I, you know, witnessing this on the parent side of things as well as the teacher side of things. So I know they're stressing and I just feel like it's irresponsible right now as a coach to be 
hounding them about workouts. I'm here, they know I'm here as a resource if, if they want anything, but I much more care about how they're doing. And I think that that's, you know, one of the things that these kids all know, like if you, if you are on my team, I will just love you and help you in any way that I can. And I, I joke that I, you know, think God gave me one kid because he knew I'd have 90 someday. And, um, <laughs> you know, like I just, I, I tell the parents, I don't care if your kid's, you know, six, five, 300 pound thrower, he's, a, he's your baby. And so I'm always like, like that's like, these are, I don't want to lose anyone's baby. So I need to know if they're driving or riding the bus. Like, I don't care if they're that big, they're someone's baby. So I need to, you know, make sure they're all taken care of. And so I think I, I, I tend to have a kind of a motherly reaction to stuff like this and just making sure that they're, they're doing okay. And I know that, you know, if we're allowed to come back that, you know, that, you know, they'll know that they're, they're good with me no matter if they come back out of shape or not. So how yeah. are your athletes handling being away from each other? When I was in high school, my friends were everything to me. And I'm sure the same for Brad. How are they handling just not seeing each other every day? It's not, it's not good. I mean, the overriding theme is, you know, there are some things about this learning online that they like, but most of all, none of it out, none of it outweighs being there with people. And, and I totally get that. Like I, you know, I, I hate not being able to see, and we're not doing like live classes, um, because we would definitely be crashing every two hours if that happened. But, um, they, you know, that's the thing that overall they are all struggling with and that they, and and so I just keep telling them like, listen, this is, this is physical distancing. This is not socially isolating. Like you've got to like stay in touch. I'm like, and, and it's funny because it's like, everyone knows I hate FaceTime. I don't like any type of video chat. Now I'm like, who wants to FaceTime? Who wants to like, like, I, like, I want to see people. And, and I said, you know, to a couple of these kids, I said, you know, I think that as much as your generation relies on technology to communicate, I think the, they will realize the absence of face-to-face communication. And I think that's going to be a really positive thing for them because it's, it's so, you know, it's so funny because like so many of them are obsessed with like just Snapchat or TikTok or whatever. And they're not actually communicating the way that I grew up communicating with a 50 foot phone cord wrapped around the corner um, in a hallway (laughs) and my mom listening on the other end like this like they I think they are realizing the importance of face-to-face contact and that's where it's starting to hurt them and then and I said you know for most for most of them I said I think your parents and people in my generation are going to realize how important that social media is too, because without it right now, you would have no contact. And so I said, I think that that's something that is really positive. that's going to come out of this. I I fully agree. And I love that you said that because I think, like you said, it's affecting all the different generations of people in different ways. And I think, um, obviously it's a, it's a devastating virus, but, but it's something that if you want to look for a silver lining, I think it's going to make everybody just have more, um appreciation for the things that they do have in their life um and draw more attention to what's truly important you know like your family your friends your teammates um those types of things and yeah it's it's going to cause people who are maybe a little bit older to be more tech savvy and it's going to cause people who are younger to desire more of that social facial like face-to-face interaction um 
But I mean, yeah, Tom and I have noticed that same thing over these last couple of weeks where it's like even doing a podcast like this where we can see you and interact. Yeah. It's like you like feel better afterwards because it's like, yeah. oh, a human. Like we can. Interact. <laughs> yeah, my people. people, my people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> It's really funny because, like, I hate FaceTime. Like, I would never, if my husband travels for work and he calls on FaceTime, I turn the video off. I'm like, I don't like FaceTime. It's so weird. And now I'm like, FaceTime and everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's, like you said, it's, it's all, you know, I think it's going to bring a lot of the very divided mindset on what communication and connection is i think it's going to bring those two vast areas kind of to a more center point yeah so when this when this thing is over i think there's going to be some huge parties of people just rejoicing and being together again yeah i mean i think just the all the little things that you take for granted and i would like you know i would do anything to be completely stressed out and tired and and like you know, telling kids, what do you mean you didn't check sports? You, that's where we, I put everything. That's where we're supposed to be. Like, I would do anything to be having those conversations right now. Um, like that's, it's, uh, that I will, you know, never take for granted all those little, um, everyday hassles, um, that I would much rather have that than what we're having right now. And I think for, for some of the kids, like there was always that, well, maybe next meet and now there may not be a next meet. And, and so uh, maybe next meet I'll break the school record. Um, I was just too tired. I didn't push it at the end. Well, now you don't know that you're going to get that next meet. And, and that's hard. Like that's hard to, to take, but like I say, at the parents meeting every year, I'm going to be a better coach by the end of the season because every year that I've coached, like there's been big change because of of growth. And this year was obviously a very big change because it was growth and, a new school and a new job, well, three or jobs or four jobs in one job and new people and all this. And I said, so if nothing else would be a better coach because of that, I had, I had no idea that, that this was, <laughs> this was part of this season. <laughs> I was like that of all the things I could have predicted, um, a pandemic was not one of them. No. That was not in any coaching education I ever went to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my, in my pros and cons list for 2020 in terms of making changes like my worst case scenario was not even close to what we're going through right now so it was a new card for us as well but it's also unique because every person is going through the same challenge right now every single person is away from either work or their family or school or their sport and to come out the other side ahead it's going to take a lot of different special people, whether we are talking about high school track, there are going to be some kids who figure out what they need to do, what they have to do, and what makes them special and unique as an athlete, because everyone's facing, everyone's struggling, everyone's having the same hard time, but now it's on to you when we get a little more used to what's going on to figure out how do I make myself a better athlete when sports do come back so I can be ahead and hit my goals and achieve what I want to achieve. Yeah. And well, same thing with, with coaching as well. Yeah. I mean, I think some of these kids are like panicked. And I'm like, you know what? That, that ankle injury that's been a nagging problem, that hamstring has been a nagging problem. This is the, like, now you've got a couple of weeks to work on that. And, mm-hmm. and I said, so when, you know, I've got one kid who it's his first year out, but he's, you know, his main sport basketball. But I mean, he's ended up being our second fastest guy. I just had a feeling he was going to be that fast. And, and, 
probably would have been our best long jumper. And, you know, but he has got, he's never had any work mechanically with sprinting. So his hamstring was a problem. And so I'm like, listen, you've got time. When are you ever going to have time to work on your hamstring? Because you play basketball all year round. And then you had track. And so I'm like, this is your time to fix those things because you'll probably never get this again. You're a junior. Like this is, you know, you're not going to get this time off. So let's fix this now. I'll, I'll give you whatever I need to, like, you know, to help you do this. But like, this is an opportunity for you to take care of that. And, and I think those that can, cannot, that can avoid panicking and focus on some of those things. And even I think the bigger thing is just the mental aspect of it for some of these athletes, um, you know, is one of the harder things to work on. So if there's anything that can, you can do now to, to work on um, the mental aspect of your game, you've got an opportunity to do that with nothing else to do. And so I'm trying to, you know, for those that are panicking to encourage them to focus in on one of those things that they've not been able to, because there's so much going on. And this is this, this is your chance to, to do that. And, and like you said, for coaches um, as well, like this is the time to kind of like, okay, what we get, we get like a reset button. I don't know how long the reset button is going to be, but you know, we get a chance to kind of look at, at what we would do differently or, or, you know, next year and what went well and what didn't go well. And I think that's a, you know, like I said, like, there is an opportunity there for, for that to happen. And, and, you know, I know even like as a new teacher this year, like this, this has been a lot, this has been a lot to take on the first year with, you know, the girls strength and conditioning, um, teaching in a classroom, um, overseeing cross country and then taking, you know, head coach of track and field. So, uh, it's, I'm, I'm missing the students and would take the craziness back in a heartbeat, but, um, it's given me a really good opportunity teaching wise to kind of focus in on that aspect because that was really challenging this spring. And even though it was my second semester and, you know, teaching the same thing over again, um, you know, track consumes a, a lot of time. I did it full time. Um, for no pay for a lot of years. And so um, to have to not be able to do it full time and have other, you know, things to work on has been rough. So I appreciate the opportunity to kind of get better as a teacher. Um, and I'm trying to focus on, on that right now because uh, I didn't really have that opportunity this year because of so many of the other roles that I was in. Yeah. And that, that's where the mindset thing comes in where, we're in this situation. There's no way around it. By us complaining about it or worrying about it, it's not going to help the situation. We're already in it. So now yeah. it's just the idea of viewing it as an opportunity versus a hindrance. Yeah. And then realizing, like you said, we're probably never going to have time like this again yeah. to hone our craft or to get yeah. better at what we want to get better at. Um, we're never going to have this much alone time, time within your home. Like, Obviously, it's devastating, but we need to view it as an opportunity and do kind of like what you alluded to before. You've been doing your whole life, like make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing that I've kind of and it seems like this affects more of the higher performing athletes, like is their identity is very much caught up in their sport. And I said, you know, this is like, you know, and they're the ones that I think are having the hardest time with this. And I said, you know, they're, I said, you know, and they're like, I, I know how much like, they feel bad. They say, you know, how hard I work this, you know, the season. 
And I'm like, listen, I said, I'm, I'm devastated, but this, you know, is not my first rodeo. Like I have reinvented myself so many times that I I'm not worried because I've put a lot of work into things that have, have failed or didn't, you know, took a long time and then did worked out or didn't work out. So this is all part of it. Like I could stop today and I have so many other avenues that I can, that are part of me. I said, for you, all you've been is you, the athlete and, and you and the athlete, you and the sport are very intertwined. And I said, it's really important that you find some other aspect of yourself because the reality is anyone can get injured at any time and that can be taken away from them. And that is extremely devastating. And I said, so you've got to find something else that you are other than that sport, because it can be taken away from us in a heartbeat. And if all you are is that sport, that is going to be a very hard thing to overcome if that's ever taken away. So let's use this as a, um, you know, like a pretend situation where uh, temporarily you're, you're taken out of that sport, find something else that you can do, find something else, find an identity outside of that sport. Because if that happens, you've got to find something to do in life. Like you, you may not be a professional athlete someday. You're going to have to have a real job. So you've got to find some other identity other than in that sport. And so I think that's the thing that I've spent hours talking to certain athletes about that. You've got to find something else outside of that sport. Yes. Most likely you will go on to play that in college and, and whatnot, but you've got to find something else. There has to be more to you than just this sport. So if, you know, you wanted to pick up like painting or something, I don't know, just like pick it up. One kid, one of our throwers <laughs> found a way to like make iron on t-shirts using like saran wrap and, and pictures and what. And, and so <laughs> like the last kid on earth I would have ever expected to be making t-shirts with iron awesome. things, not even using like the ones you 3M ones that you buy and iron <laughs> on. Like this is like a DIY type thing. I was cracking up. Like, that is... It was just the funniest thing. And so he's taking all these silly pictures of people and made like 15 t-shirts of like weird pictures and it was the funniest thing ever. So like that's the kind of thing I love to see. I love to see kids finding other things that they are interested in but have never had the time because their life is that sport. I love that. Yeah, this is the best time to use the time with yourself to self-reflect and understand who you are as a person and like what drives you and what are all the facets of your life. Um, I think this is something that we could probably talk for hours on, but let's yes. let's, let's pivot a little bit into um, your experience with, with TFC and yeah. it sounded like you went to an event there and just kind of talk through your experience with that and how that's yeah. maybe changed your mentality. Um, so it's, it's funny because I'm, I don't even know exactly what the first time I, um, came in, you know, became aware of Tony Holler and, and, you know, feed the cats. And, and I, I think when I figured out what article it was, he said, it was like one of the second article, I think the second article he ever wrote. And, and I think it might've been re-released when I came upon it, but it's funny because I came I'm sure I found that through probably Googling something on how to how to make something simpler. Um, and it might have even been his simple plan article. 
because of how many different events I was coaching and how am I going to manage all these athletes. And honestly, like I first saw that and like from a practicality standpoint, like I need this, like I need something that is more simple because I will lose my mind. Like I, this, this, you know, while it made sense, like this is what I, I am going to have to do this year because I don't know how else to work out the schedule with this amount of athletes and, and make this happen. And so I think that originally that's where I, you know, was like, wow, I think this could be something to it. And so then just the more I read, I'm like this, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And so the funny thing is, and I told Tony, this is like, uh, everything, like when he describes a cat, I'm like, Oh my God, that's my daughter. Like she is like, like ridiculously competitive person that hates to run. Like she likes to <laughs> run. She hates to run. They're like, I'm, you know, like that's why I don't coach her one-on-one. Like it's not good. Like you put her up against someone or put her against the free lap timing. She's a monster. Put her like on her own or like a high volume, she would quit track. Like I, I, I told him like if I, if, if she had a high volume program, she would 100% not be doing track right now. And so it's funny because I was like, wow, I'm like that I can see how this could be more fun. And I'm like, how sad would that be that someone that, you know, at that point she was young. I'm like, seems like she's probably, you know, pretty, pretty talented. Um, that'd be a shame if she would quit before she's old enough to really decide if she wants to do this or not. And I'm like, I'm sure if she feels this way, there's probably a lot of kids that feel that way. Who doesn't want track to be more fun? There's a reason why our numbers sucked. There's a reason why kids don't do it because track programs aren't fun. And so for me, I was all about finding something that the kids would love. And so the schedule itself was very manageable the way it was broken up with the X Factor days. And so, you know, and, and I get a lot of questions about this. Like, how, how do you manage all this? Do we follow to a T? We do it the best that we can. And that's really all you can ask. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, you know, so our weight room days are Tuesday, Thursday for our sprint group. And we sprint Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It, I mean, and like some of our event work has to be Tuesday, Thursday because of when our coaches are available. There's just not any way around it. And so um, whether it's 100% correct or not, it has made for kids loving track and field. And I think that that's one of the things that with the program that I built at the other schools, um, they didn't really have, a lot of them didn't have other experience outside of that. I mean, we had a few kids that their parents were panicked that they weren't running repeat 400s to, you know, be a 200 runner. So um, that, like that kind of stuff drives me insane. But, but anyway, um, for the most part, the kids were happy and uninjured. And, you know, for the kids that, that just were at my practice and weren't doing other activities outside of there, I had a very low injury rate, very low shin splints, very low, you know, hamstring issues. Like that just didn't happen. It was, you know, mainly the kids that played turf sports um, and the ones who were doing other stuff outside of practice that, that were running into the injury issues. So, you know, I think that that, when, when kids realized that track could be fun and, you know, practices weren't three hours and they, you know, and we always like do a Friday fun day whenever we can and do some ridiculous game that incorporates our warm up or something that, that makes them want to be there. And so I, what, you know, what Tony said really resonated with me about the kids 
um, loving track and field and wanting to be there and doing well at the things that they loved. And so it made a lot of sense. And, and I didn't have a free lap timing system. Like that was something I got, you know, first thing I got when I came to Calgary, I had my phone and stopped watching my phone. And so my rank record and publish was very different, but um, it, it kept my athletes healthy and happy. And that in turn made other people want to be a part of that program. And so, you know, the program I had the last year at the previous school, we had 70 athletes out, which was 20% of the high school population there. And, and I mean, I even had like one of the things I was most proud of is I had eight seniors that, that came out who had never done track and field before. And that was an IV school. So why the hell would someone who is trying to do their IV diploma program want to add one more thing to their plate, but it, they wanted to be a part of it. And so that was something that I was always really proud of because you've got to be like, there's got to be something to it. If kids want to add something else to their plate at that point. So I think that when I came to, to Calgary, um, I, there were two other kids that um, were also from the previous school that, that had uh, come to Calgary for football. And they had come out for track last year for me at the previous school for the first time and, and had never done it before in their lives and were you know, two of our fastest kids. And I think that that honestly helped because that they were there because that was able to kind of give some um, street cred to this lady sprint coach. And, <laughs> you know, they're, you know, they were a huge part, I think, in getting these guys to buy in. And just the fact that they knew they weren't ever going to do 10 200s like a day before a meet, they're like, really? I'm like, no, like <laughs> the most we ever ran was three 200s. They're like, what? Like they, like it took a while for them to, to buy in. And so, and I think that was a, a part of what um, let a lot of them, you know, decide to come out that and, you know, working with the football coach to really make, you know, make this happen for them that the, these guys could come out for track. And, and I think that that partnership is really important. Um, I worked with basketball in the fall on speed days and um, had a lot of support there. So I had, you know, our, our six, eight guy who's going to university in North Florida to play basketball wanted to come out for track for the first time. I'm like, how cool is that? Like he's, you know, he's, he's, he's good. He's in like, there's nothing, so there's no pressure. And, and he's got like ridiculously good running form. It's just amazing. Like no one's ever coached him on it. I'm like, this is what I want everyone to look like over here. <laughs> uh, so, you know, getting the buy-in from the other coaches um, and, and, and there's just, you know, something to that, that whole free lap mile per hour thing that is like a drug. It really is. And, and the kids love it. And it was funny because it's like the other teams were practicing like on the field and, and we're over there like cheering and going nuts. And like, it looks fun. Like you can't help but want to be a part of it. And so I feel like if, you know, the way I looked at it is that even if this wasn't the best way to train, I would rather under train these kids than over train them and have them go off to college and just never be able to make it. Because if, if there is, if more volume is better, college is the time to do it. Like this sport, the, the age of maturation of the sport is not, is 26 to 28 years old. So why would I want to overwork them um, and have them plateau before they even go off to college? And so if I, why would I give them, more if I can get it done with less, like going back to like the minimum effective dose. And so it just, 
so much of it made sense to me, even though my original buy-in to it was um, because I needed the simplicity of it. Like it was just, you can get so complex and, and the stuff goes over the kid's head. And so why not make this, the, I, I'm all about simple. And so it, the simplicity of it works, but, but everything about like the competitive, competitiveness that being able to time them and see where they're at and, and the information that gives me about how they're doing and why they're way off that day. And, you know, is so valuable because then I can know, like, listen, we need to cut it off really. Like this has been too much. Um, we're not getting anything accomplished here and be okay with that to understand what's going on. Oh, well, I didn't go to bed till 3 a.m. Well, there's your sign um, that, that something's off today. So let's get more sleep and come back and try it again on Friday. It's been really, really valuable. And I, and I think that, um, you know, that whole approach to training my sprinters has made it a very, a very fun thing to be a part of. And I think it's uh, a lot of why we had such success, but, but I think, you know, more than anything, once I started to get to know who some of the other people were that were part of the track football consortium, um, I was like, I love this, but there's no way in hell I'm going to Chicago in January. And then that, <laughs> the next one that was in June, I couldn't go to. So I jokingly asked Tony one time, I'm like, so would you ever consider doing one in Florida? And he said, yes. I'm like, crap. All right, here we go. So <laughs> I actually hosted their first um their first one outside of Chicago at my previous school. And it was their, they didn't know what to expect because they've never, they had never done one offsite before. Oh, uh, wow. So, um, you know, I, I just wanted to hear all of them um, that I'm like, I'll, I'll host it. Like I, I can get a facility for you. I can do this. I can do that. I mean, we had, we had a small enough group. I had everyone over at my house for dinner that night and um we got food brought in and it was like it was just like a like we all have such a special bond from from that time but you know i think that everything that they bring in like like steve jones for example every time i hear him he is amazing his leadership stuff like i take away something every single time i hear him and like he he could almost make a room cry he's that good he is just, uh, you can see why he does well. I'm sure he's got talented athletes, but the, the leadership stuff that they bring in and, you know, he's like, I know it doesn't sound very manly to tell your football team that you love them, but it's like, he is just so like from the heart that you can understand why they will do anything for him and why they are such a team. Um, so like that kind of stuff that they, the people that you meet and, and the, so many people that who just think outside the box or, you know, aren't afraid to say, you know what, let's try this and see if that works. And, and I just get more out of, now I've been to three, the one I hosted and then Chicago and then the one in Dallas. Um, I just get so much out of each time because I, you know, I love hearing other people that aren't afraid to say there's got to be a better way to do this and who are genuine about it and aren't afraid to make mistakes and aren't afraid to say, you know what, that was crap. I, that five years, what was I thinking? Like, that's a really important thing to have as a coach. And, you know, I love being able to look back and say, Oh God, that was a terrible choice. Why did I do that? Um, 
And I think that's one of the things that's challenged me the most about the people that they bring in um, and the people that end up going there. Like I have just made so many good connections um, that, you know, I can send a message to and get an answer back or, you know, that it's really been very valuable for my development as a coach, because a lot of times it can be, you may not have the people immediately surrounding you um, that can be that network for you. And so the network that, that TFC has provided for me has been amazing. And like, I even joke with Dan Casey, I'm like, one of these times I'm coming in, I, I don't have any reason to go to a football talk, but everyone just comes out of his sessions raving. I'm like, I just got to go in one time to <laughs> like hear one of your sessions because I'm like, I, I have to hear Like everyone says how awesome Dan Casey is. And I'm not in there because I'm on the track side of things or the strength and conditioning side of things. And like, you just want to go hear what they have to say because I've, you know, there's always something you can learn from a coach regardless of what it is that they coach. So. Absolutely. And even even in this discussion, we've talked about track quite a bit, but maybe not even half of our talk has been about track and field. And we've yeah. learned so much because you have all these other experiences. You have all these other lessons that translate to ever to other situations in life. And that's when you know you have a good teacher and a good leader is when they can relate to you on so many different levels. Yeah. Yeah. That's what life's all about. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I love that. And that's a good, I mean, I think the best summary is for as far as like the minimal effective dose, even if performance was exactly the same, like a one for one with a high volume program, right? Even if it was completely the same, the fact that injury rates are down, kids actually want to be there and that, I mean, you're, you doubled the size of the program yeah. in, in a year, basically like that should speak for itself as far as. Yeah even if they were the exact same, that's a better strategy to go by because kids yeah. are happier. Kids have a better relationship with the sport and with you as their coach. And it's just, it's just a no brainer, right? Like, I mean, Tom, have, Tom yeah. and I have talked to different coaches who have adopted this and it just makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, half the battle is that track and field does a crappy job of introducing it at the middle school level, which is when you really have to um, introduce something fun for these kids. Because like girls down here, if you're athletic, you're a volleyball player, almost hundred percent guarantee volleyball, soccer, that's it. And track and field is not even a consideration. And, and I hate that because I feel like if there's any sport that can truly find something for almost everyone, it's track and field. And, but why would they choose it? I wouldn't choose it the way it was. Like it was terrible. And so, you know, if that's anything I can do to make it more, more fun and make it more appealing to make it an option as all I want is I just want this to be an option for kids in middle school so that they don't get locked into something they don't really want to do because they haven't had any other choices to do it. And so the thing that I really like to hear too is that, you know, even for some of the older football guys, like I wish I would have done track sooner. And, you know, and I think that if, you know, I realize that there will be very few athletes that are going to be a hundred percent track and field athletes. Like it's just, that's a special breed to like to do track and field. And so, you know, coming to terms with that is a little rough and that I'm sure that'll change over a couple of years of being at the same school. Um, but 
if nothing else, they're going to go back to their primary sport refreshed and a better athlete because you, Mm -hmm. you can't hide behind a team in this sport. Like it's, it's you and your times. And so you can't hide. So it's, it's, it's a very vulnerable place. I can, like I can tell from some of my, like the one higher performing basketball athlete, like this is like, this is new for him. Like, this is like, I'm like, this is funny. Like you're nervous about this. Like you don't know, you're not like, you know, he wants to be the best right away. And I'm like, you're so competitive. Like you just like, just chill. Like it's okay. He's like, yeah, but I want to do like, I'm like, just chill. Like, like you'll get there. But I'm like, yeah. I think it's kind of funny that you're acting like all to them to be out of their element and having to learn something on their own and not have anyone to cover for them is awesome. Like, I think what a, what an asset to your athletic toolbox to be able to, to do that. Because I think mentally, if nothing else, um, is going to make them better at their sport when they go back into it. And so, you know, I, I think that's the thing that's, that's really cool about it. And I think that it's, it, when else am I going to have, you know, this senior 300 pound lineman guy throwing, and then this little freshman girl, that's barely a hundred pounds wet distance runner all on the same team. Like you're just, you're never, are you ever going to be on the same team as a lot of the people that you're in class with every day that play a different sport until track season. And then, and then we're all a team and like the, the friendships that come out of it that normally wouldn't is awesome. Like I love that part of track and field, but you've got to make it fun or kids don't want to be there. The other unique part of track is it's such an individual sport and so many kids, at least our friends and kids we grew up with, they're always playing team sports. It's always basketball, volleyball, football, hockey, lacrosse it's always like you're part of a team which is significant and empowering but it's also really nice to get an individual aspect where it's up to you to perform to show up to help your team but you're still within that team concept because there are so many different events and you need a lot of different people to come together to be successful so it's nice to get that exposure when you're in high school to have a little more ownership over your performance and how you do yeah and i think that that's one of the things you know just the, the, you know, some of these kids, you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be sprint, you know, they're not going to be sprinters at a very competitive level, just to be able to see themselves improve their times. Like what they, I, the best thing is seeing that expression when they know they've done something all by themselves. Like no one else can take credit for that time. Like that time is their time. They did that on their own. And, and you know, I've got one kid who's like, I can't believe it. He's like, I did that. I did that all by myself. Like no one else helped me with that. I did that. And we like, we joke about it all the time because I've never seen someone so excited about their own performance at something, but he'd never had that experience before. And so it was, it was such a neat thing to, to see that and like the sense of pride. And so I think that, you know, celebrating their accomplishments and like the mile per hour thing. And, and, and then another thing I learned at, at TFC was the, the, personal record and the school record um, recognition. And, and it was Al Leslie and he, he had a belt or medallions. And so I did a hat last year. We had a PR hat and an SR hat. And if you got a PR, you took a picture in the hat and a school record that had another hat or if you broke, you know, and we had a lot that every time was a PR with a school record. So they were both hats and, and like that, we just like, I'm like, I'm like, you guys probably should just start following me on Twitter because we're going to have a lot of these. <laughs> and so this year we were, we had swords, but the teams were so big and our first couple meets were so crazy that we didn't even really get into like 
getting all the pictures because we're the warriors. So we had swords that said PR and score and SR. Um, like the kids love that. And I think it was one of the biggest keys in building a program because you've got to find a way to keep the high performing athletes um, motivated and competitive without discouraging the ones who are coming in for the first time. And so celebrating their personal records is a great way to do that and to create buy-in to make them feel like they're improving. And, and that's a huge part of it because it, you cannot have a successful program without both. You've got to have both because, you know, like this year, like our girls side, we were winning meets on basically five athletes, really four because one hadn't even come back yet. And it was just, we had four stud athletes that scored most of our points. And so one meet of any one of them not being there, we wouldn't, that would be the difference between first and like third place at a meet. And they were just, they're that good. And so on the boys side, we didn't have any superstars, but we had depths. And so that, you know, we were just getting to that point of like looking at districts and like how we're going to use that depth to be able to, to get through because this year with the way our state meet schedule works, like you, if you have depths, you're, you're good because the state meet schedule is the worst thing I've ever seen and particularly for sprinters. And uh, so like that's how we would have done well on the boys side because we had, I, I mean, I probably had, I don't know, 25 guys that were 20 miles an hour faster and um, like, you know, there's a lot you can do with them. Like we, you know, we would have been able to fill out all our events. So um, like it was like, you've got to be able to have all of that, but you've also got to be building. So because, you know, one graduates, one of your superstars graduates and you're back to fourth or fifth place at a meet because that superstar is not there. So you've got to be building up those, those freshmen and sophomore kids or you won't have a program in a couple of years. So um, another thing that like TFC has been amazing is, you know, giving me ways to, to do that and to keep those athletes encouraged. But I would, you know, as, as much as I love like the mechanics of sprinting and I read biomechanics stuff in my spare time, I am successful as a coach because I create buy-in because kids want to be there and I have creative ways to come up with things and we have fun. And that, that is, you know, why they, show up and that's why they want to be there and um then then i can you know work with them on on what it is we need to fix but you've got to get them there and keep them there and that's not something that a lot of programs have had done well that i saw at that point and went in to change it yeah that that's definitely it seems like something you've been successful with and i don't know it's just it's you can tell within this last hour and some change talking to you that you seem like a great coach, great person, somebody that just like if I could go back, I would I would be in track. You know what I mean? Like it was kind of that same thing. So really appreciate that. Um, yeah. We'll be we'll be cognizant of your time here. I just want to end. I know you mentioned yeah. uh, your Twitter. Where can people find more information about you? Um, at Coach Lisa Moves You Letter U. Okay. And Perfect. so it's all one word. Coach Lisa Moves You, um, and that's where I you know. Put all my, I mean, we've got a, we've got a school track and field account that I retweet stuff, but you know, I like to point out the, the positive as well as some of the silly stuff too, because the kids love that. So my latest thing is I'm making gifts out of all of them and um, using those in posts. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, 
you know, if you follow my Coach Lisa movie, you'll get a little bit of the silly as well as the accomplishments and, and other stuff too. But if, that, if there's anything that reflects my personality, it's definitely my Twitter account. Well, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who listen to this who want to hear more from you. Um, it's very empowering to talk with you. Um, so we, we will include that in the show notes so that they're okay. able to get that link to your Twitter as well. And we really appreciate you being on. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate what you're doing and using up this dead space for coaching um, and continuing to educate other coaches. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So we'll have to have you back on in the future. Okay. Sounds good.